0: Last week, we looked at that story to establish the nature of Jesus's mission. And that was to reach people, to restore them and to reproduce that mission in others. And we looked at how that is also our mission, to to be and to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. And this mission is a non-negotiable for a follower of Jesus. I mean, Jesus said it in the story to his disciples. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, my, my sustenance is to do the work that God has given me. It's to pursue the mission that he's given me. So he's saying to his disciples that this mission, it's not, it's not dessert, it is the meal. It's the meat, it's the drink, and you should be doing it too. And so if we are to truly follow Jesus, then it's the mission that we must embrace and pursue with everything that we have. And the primary way that we do that here at Kings is through bless which I explained last week, those five missional practices of bless. Begin with prayer, listen, eat together, serve, share your story. These are things that anyone can do, and they're things that we must do. And I know that many of you have seen breakthrough in the lives of friends or family and colleagues and neighbours through faithfully pursuing these practices and reaching out intentionally through bless. And it's really exciting when that happens, when you see God at work in people's lives. That is the adventure of faith. But like I said last week, when you first start doing bless, you will see some immediate breakthroughs. You will. When you start praying, opportunities will open up. But it is also something, of course, that we pursue for the long haul, even at times when we're not seeing much happen. And I think there are a couple of crucial factors that determine whether you pursue bless for the long haul or whether you start and then it just kind of fizzles out. And it comes down really to how you answer these two questions. First is, what do you see as success in reaching out? And then secondly, what is your motivation for reaching out, for pursuing bless or for not pursuing bless? What is success in reaching out? What is your motivation in reaching out? So let's have a look at those questions through the lens of this story in John chapter 4. So first, what is success in reaching out? What is success in evangelism? Let's have a look at two extracts from the story. So first of all, from verse 28 to 30, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. So that's the first extract. Then let's have a look at verse 39, which says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Now, which of those extracts are we more drawn to when we think of success in evangelism? And I would suggest that it's the second one because... There's a clear result. They believe. They have come to faith. It's like the the deal has been sealed. There is a clear outcome. Surely that is success. And of course, in a way, it is. But while outcomes and results are clearly important, it isn't always the best measure of success. So, for example, when we would go to one of our children's primary school parents' evenings, which sadly is an era that is now over for us. But we would go to the parents' evening. And of course, when you go to a parents' evening, you want to hear how they're getting on academically. That is important. But actually, you're also listening out for something else. And when we went home afterwards, we could say to them, hey, your teacher says you're doing really well. So, so well done. We're really proud of you for that. But actually, do you know what we're most proud of? We are most proud of the fact that your teacher sat there and told us That you are a great member of that class. That you work hard. You're, you're helpful. You're, you're polite. You are, you get on well with others. That actually your teacher loves having you in their class. That is what we're really proud of because it's about who you are. You know, the results are important, but actually there is something more important. If the focus was purely on results, that, that's got the potential to be pretty crushing for the child and for the parents. If for whatever reason the results are not what was hoped for. But I think the same is true in evangelism. If you base your sense of success on the response of the other person, which is a response that you actually have no control over and no right to control, then there will be many, many times when you get not just disappointed, because of course it's natural to feel disappointed when someone doesn't respond in the way that you would like, but you won't just be disappointed, it will crush you, and that will lead to you just giving up. And also, here's the thing, even when someone does respond and does come to faith, well, that's not your success anyway, because we can't save anybody. It's to the glory of God, because only he can change someone's heart. We see it at the end of the story, where it says they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, Now we have heard this for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. It was coming into contact with Jesus that saved them, that's what brought the results. Now it doesn't mean of course that you should shy away from challenging someone to come to Christ or to lead them to faith when that opportunity arises but don't measure success in evangelism purely by those outcomes. So then what is success in evangelism? Well, it's what the woman did. Having had a revelation of who Jesus is for herself, what does this woman then go and do? Well, she leaves her water jar. She changes her purpose because now she has something which is far more important to do. She goes to the people she knows, the people of the village, and she tells them the truth of what has happened to her. And what she says to them is very simple. It's totally transparent. She isn't trying to be clever She's not trying to be theological. She's not trying to, you know, explain substitutionary atonement or predestination or the doctrine of the Trinity or or why does God allow suffering? She's not trying to do any of that. It's simply, this is what happened to me. This is my lived experience. This is what I have experienced. And so you see, this is why your story and, and my story is so important because you're just telling people what you have experienced, what Jesus has done in your life. You know, why does God allow suffering? Well, to be honest, I don't really know, but I do know this. I do know that God loves me. I know that Jesus has changed my life. That is what I have experienced. That's my story. So this woman goes to people she knows. She's transparent. She just tells her story very simply, and then she points them to Jesus himself. Come and see a man. Come and see this man. She doesn't know much about Jesus. Clearly, she's grasped something. She doesn't know that he's going to go on and die for her and rise from the dead. She doesn't know it because it hasn't happened yet. But she has grasped something of the fact that this is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Come and meet this man. And then because of her testimony, it tells us that they came out of the town and they made their way towards him. So what is success in evangelism? Well, it's, it's simply being a faithful and courageous witness. And it's seeing that as your food and your drink. It's pointing people to Jesus, knowing that their response is not your responsibility, and yet being able to celebrate when someone moves closer to faith, to, to celebrate the small things, the small victories, as well as the big things. And it's being so full of Jesus yourself, so filled with the love of God, that people ask you, what is it about you? What is different about you that people ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have? Now, of course, it's right to be sensitive. It's right to to not try to force your faith or to force the God perspective into any and every conversation. Sometimes that's entirely inappropriate and and, and insensitive. But it is living out your faith. It is living out your story now. Being prepared to speak when that God-given opportunity arises, when that door opens opens. Now, when we see success in evangelism like that, well, then instead of being crushed and giving up, then we'll celebrate every opportunity we have, every opportunity God brings our way to be a witness to Jesus, regardless of the response we get. And we'll be intentional about those opportunities and we'll continue to joyfully pursue the mission that God has given us by continuing to bless people. Now, there is a big obstacle that that can lead some or maybe many to keep quiet about Jesus. And maybe you've encountered this, an attitude in our society that goes something like this. If, if you want to believe that fine, but you shouldn't try to convert others. You should not try to tell people that Christianity, that, that that what you believe is the way that it's better or truer than their beliefs, because actually that's just offensive. Now we live in a culture of offense where uh, offence is the argument clincher. Everybody's getting offended about something or trying to avoid offending somebody. But to say, you know, it's okay for you to believe, but you shouldn't try to convert others, it's just wrong. It's just plain wrong. So let's deal with that obstacle because I think it's a big one for many of us. And this is where we start to come to our motivations for evangelism. So first of all, it's logically incoherent because effectively you are being reprimanded for making a truth claim. Your truth claim is that Christianity is the way, that Jesus is the only way to come to God, to know God. You're being reprimanded for making a truth claim by someone who themselves is making a truth claim. Their truth claim is it's wrong to do that, but that in itself is a truth claim because you can't avoid making truth claims. Everybody has faith in something And is trying to get others to believe what they believe or think like they think. Because they think it would be better for the world if everybody believed this way and not in that way. Everybody's doing that. But of course this thing of I'm right and you're wrong. That's the fundamental problem of human nature that is destroying the world. And so that mustn't be our motivation for evangelism. Having a sense of superiority or of being right. No that mustn't be our motivation. So there's a logical problem with this view of it's okay for you, but you shouldn't try to convert others. There's also a big, huge moral problem with it as well. So just imagine if you were part of a medical research group that had found the cure for COVID-19. I mean, not just, not just something to manage it and alleviate symptoms, but a cure. You would tell the world about it. It wouldn't be narrow-minded to come out and say... This is the cure. We've got it. It's been tried and tested. It's gone through all the clinical trials. It works. It works. And it's better than all those other treatments. And I think you would probably do that with a fair degree of enthusiasm and zeal because, because you know what? That would end this wretched lockdown that we're in. I think you'd be pretty enthusiastic about it. Now, you're still not in control of people's responses. They might believe you. They might not. They might think you're being over-enthusiastic or over-zealous in your approach. But if you genuinely thought you had the cure, of course you would go and tell the world about it. Now, as Christians, we believe we have something far better, far more foundational than a cure for COVID-19. So, of course, we want to tell people, and we have to tell people. And they might believe you or they might not believe you. They might find you over-enthusiastic or over-zealous. But, hey, if you believe... If you truly believe the claims of Jesus, then morality, proper morality, would be to try to convert people. Of course it would, because you think you have the answer to the world's problems. There's nothing narrow-minded about that. I remember reading an article once. I, I can't remember what, where the article was, but, but in this article, there was an atheist who was quoted as saying, I really can't consider a Christian a good moral person if he isn't trying to convert me. And what he means, of course, is if you believe the claims of the gospel, if you're convinced that you know the truth and you're not trying to convert me, well, then either you don't love me, you don't care enough to tell me the truth, or you don't actually believe what you say you believe. That's, that's a big challenge because when I think of the opportunities that I've missed with people in my life, you know, the times I've decided to stay quiet about Jesus, and sadly there are many of those times, well, I know it's not because I don't believe what I say I believe. So it must be that I lack love. I must lack love. And so this is where we come to the right motivation for evangelism. Let's have a look at what motivated Jesus in the story. In his context, in, in that society in which Jesus is, is operating, what Jesus is doing is pretty scandalous, Apart from the fact that it it wasn't really the done thing for a man to interact with a woman in public like this. Well, not only that, but this is a Samaritan woman and the Jews hated the Samaritans. They saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. And not only that, but this is a fallen and immoral Samaritan woman. And a a rabbi like Jesus, someone of good standing like Jesus should not be interacting with someone like her. I mean, she was just as shocked as the disciples that Jesus would speak to her. This woman is on the wrong side of every fence, but Jesus engages with her because he doesn't care what anyone thinks, because he's purely motivated by love. He's motivated by love. He's pointing her to eternal life. He's trying to change her beliefs, not out of a self-righteous attitude of, I am right and you're wrong, and by the way, if anyone ever had the right to take that attitude, it would be Jesus. But no, it's out of a motivation of love and and pure compassion for this woman. He wants the best for her. If Jesus was self-righteous, he wouldn't be talking to her because his reputation would be more important to him than this woman. But instead, he engages with her and he offers her this living water. So I guess there are two main motivations for telling people about Jesus. One is pride. And that can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways. So it might be I am right and you're wrong. It might be that sense of superiority that comes out and I just have to win the argument. Or it might be that it makes me look like a good Christian or it wins me points with God or it gives me a good story to tell on a Tuesday morning in the staff meeting or in my small group. Or conversely, pride can lead us to not tell people about Jesus, maybe because you're worried about your reputation or... You're worried about being rejected or looking foolish. There's, there's fear that comes in, but it's all pride because it all comes back to self and really self-absorption. But the other motivation for telling people about Jesus is love. It, it's love. I, I want you to have what I have been given. I've been so wonderfully blessed. I want you to have what I've been given. It's a motivation of love. Let's take a quick look At Zoe's story. Uh, We showed this story as part of our Blessed series a couple of years ago, so let's have another look at it now.
1: I'm Zoe. I go to King's Church at the Hazelmere site and I've been there regularly for about a year and a half. I was born in 1987 into the King's Church family. I went to the children's work growing up. And we had some really good times things weren't always easy growing up though and we didn't stay in church so for my older childhood my teens and my early adult life i was not following jesus not looking to god and not trusting him having come closer to god again when i was at uni i came back spiritually hungry i was seeking him i was going to churches But I was still trying to meet my needs in the old ways that I used to. I hadn't fully experienced Jesus' love and acceptance of me yet. So some of my old lifestyle was still there. I had my feet in both camps. My sister-in-law, Angela, invited me to Alpha at King's. She said she'd go with me. She really prioritises building relationships and she drove me to Alpha and back again. We had some really good chats in the car on the way home. By inviting me to Alpha and coming along with me, Angela made me feel worthy of participating and welcomed to come. It took away some of my fears and the need for me to think of that idea by myself and walk in the door on my own. What was really significant was that she took that step. It takes guts to invite someone to an event that doesn't normally go to church because they could always say no. But Angela valued my need for God's love more than her need to feel comfortable. During my pregnancy, I cried out to God and he met me in a really special way, letting me know he was there. That's the point when I gave my whole life to God. It was really important to me that I was welcomed as I am. God's given me a big heart to welcome others to know Jesus too. I found that I need to be sensitive to where people are at and sometimes it doesn't mean inviting them to an event. It might just be showing God's love or just talking about him. Some people don't look like they fit the box of going to church, but I think they need to be invited too, because they wouldn't necessarily invite themselves. And whenever I've stepped out, I've been pleasantly surprised that God is already working on people's lives.
0: And you notice what made an impression on Zoe. Zoe. It was the love that she was shown, the the fact that Angela was prepared to put herself out to go to Alpha with her, and that it took guts to invite her in the first place, that she valued Zoe's need for God's love more than she valued her need to feel comfortable. Zoe was invited and loved, and, and now she is inviting and loving others, and I can assure you that two years on from that video, she is still inviting and loving others. If you're only motivated by pride, then you won't persist with bless, either because pride is leading you not to pursue it in the first place, or you get a hostile reaction to your sense of superiority, or maybe you go a few weeks without a good story to tell, and so you give up. But love endures. Love persists. If you're motivated by love, then you're in it for the long haul. You're committed to those people in your life, regardless of their response. You're willing to take a risk by inviting them to something, by offering to pray for them. Because you just want them to have what you have because you love them with the supernatural love of God. You want the best for them, and so you continue to bless them. You continue to invite them. And as we've already said a number of times, church, we have a great opportunity right now to love people by inviting them into the Finding God series, starting next week. Who are you inviting to take that challenge? Who are you inviting to be part of that series? It might just change their life. So take a risk and invite someone. Our motivation for reaching out is so important. And if we're honest, we probably all have mixed motives. Mixture of love and and pride all in the mix together. And so the question is, how do we pursue love? How do we pursue being more motivated by love than pride? Well, that can only happen when we look at Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we realise how Jesus is able to offer this, this living water, this water of life, to people who don't deserve it. The woman's testimony was that he knows everything about me, but still, in spite of that, he offers me this living water, this water that will quench her thirst, satisfy the longings of her soul that she's been seeking to fulfil in, in men, in relationships, in sex, in, in all sorts of things. Jesus sees you at your very worst. He sees me at my very worst, and it's not a pretty sight. But He still offers me this living water. How? How can He do that? Well, He can only do that because on the cross, He said, I thirst. I thirst. And we see this divine exchange that happened on the cross where Jesus got what we deserve so that we could have what He deserves where Jesus experienced separation from God so that we could be reconciled to God forever, for eternity, where he experienced thirst so that we could receive the living water that truly satisfies. Jesus gives us living water freely and purely by his grace. And when we get that truth deep down into us, deep into our souls, that shapes us, it shapes our identity, it changes us, it transforms us. When we fully grasp that our salvation is not achieved, but it is received, that it's purely by God's grace, that it's a gift that is given in spite of your record, in spite of your sin, not because you're better than anyone else, but because you've admitted that you're not better than anyone else and that you are in desperate need of God's grace. When you realize that you are loved so, so deeply loved in spite of your sin then you become someone who can talk about their faith out of a place of love, not self-righteousness, out of gratitude, not pride. To this woman, Jesus effectively said, look, I don't care about your, your history, your sexual history, your relationship history, and where you've been looking to fulfill the longings that you have. I can give you this living water because I love you. Because I want you to have it, and because I will thirst instead of you. And so she can say, He saw me at my worst, and He loved me. You've got to meet Him. Come and see this man. Come and see this man. She was a great witness, and she had no knowledge of Christianity. She didn't have the full picture of who Jesus was yet. We live in a different time, and we know a lot more than she did. So, what's your excuse? What's your excuse? Let us examine our hearts. What drives you? What is your priority? Is it comfort or is it mission? Is it your needs or is it the needs of others? What motivates you? Is it fear? Is it pride? Or is it love? We are ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. So let's change the world. Let's do it one life at a time. Change the world. We want to surround and saturate High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. So let's do it one life at a time. Let's do it. Let's commit to bless people. Begin with prayer. Listen, eat together, serve, share your story. And where you find that you are lacking courage and you're lacking love, Ask God, ask him for revelation of how wonderfully and undeservedly loved you are and ask him to fill you with his love. As it says in Romans chapter 5, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that it was, it was for the joy set before you. We're told in Hebrews 12, it was for the joy set before you that you endured the cross. It was love, pure, burning, passionate love that motivated you to willingly lay aside your majesty and come in the frailty of humanity and suffer an agonizing and shameful death on a cross so that we could live and be reconciled to God. Oh, Lord, remind us again of that. Remind us again of that wonderful truth. Reveal the truth of your love to us again. Continue to transform our lives. Continue to change our hearts. And Lord, please give us such a burden, such a passion and a love for those people in our lives who don't know you. Give us a courage. Give us a boldness, along with sensitivity and discernment, to witness to them of your love, to witness to them of who you are and to point them towards you, to lead them towards you. Give us courage, give us boldness, give us faith, give us a passion for the lost. Fill us, Lord, with your love. Fill us with your love in such a way and make us so full that it overflows to those around us. And we pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.